RDD ECMO. This is a story, another quick one. We talked to you about uh, how Nate's story about how Jake saved his own son, emergency physician in Northern California. Well, today we're talking about Andrew Carl Terry from Iowa, who did an amazing thing just a few weeks ago. Well, Zach, um, happy to be on. I uh, am an emergency physician in Des Moines, Iowa, Mercy Medical Center. We're a pretty large community hospital with a few residency programs, but no emergency residency at this time. We have a pretty pretty broad scope of services that we offer, um, including cardiothoracic surgery. We've got a flight team. We're a level two trauma center and a stroke center. So I enjoy kind of getting to see a little bit of everything and getting a lot of referrals from, from outside places and um, have been there about five years since finishing residency. Awesome. And so what's your experience with ECMO? Well, uh, one of my first exposures was actually when you came and spoke at ACOEP in San Diego a few years ago. And so that, you know, was always something that kind of intrigued me, you know, being able to do something for folks that otherwise wouldn't live and potentially getting them to leave the hospital functional and able to, to live normally was a pretty exciting and awesome idea. And so since then, uh, one of my colleagues, Dr. Carrion and I have talked occasionally about how cool it'd be to be able to utilize ECMO for us. And our ICU team has been using ECMO for the last couple of years um, in the ICU. They've put up 16 patients this calendar year. Wow. Uh, and so um, it's oftentimes been more at the end of the road when patients are so sick that kind of they're almost may not even make it with ECMO. So we've really been trying to, to change that mindset. And so you've had a recent case. Why don't you tell us about it? Sure. So this was a gentleman that um, had come in with ventricular tachycardia by EMS. And um, as we moved him to our bed, he went into ventricular fibrillation. And um, so fortunately, we, we knew he, he was coming in. We kind of had everything ready in the room. And there was actually a cardiologist in the department already seeing another patient. So he was in the room within a few minutes. And as we worked this guy and shocked him and gave him drugs, um, maybe 10 minutes in or so, I kind of turned to him and said, hey, you know, this guy's in his early 50s. Um, he arrested in front of us. We've shocked him multiple times. But we've still got, uh, we've got him innovated, great sats and good end title. What do you think about ECMO for this guy? And uh, the cardiologist kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit. Um, he, I don't think he's had much exposure to it or, or, you know, use with it. And, uh, so he wasn't thrilled, but to his credit, he said, well, I'll call my colleagues that do it and we'll, you know, they can come down and discuss. So we defibrillated this guy. Oh, I think probably five times. One of the times we did a, a dual defibrillator, uh, shock as well. Um, and he just refractory VF. And so probably, 15 to 20 minutes into this, um, one of the interventionalists and one of the advanced heart failure cardiologists came to the room to discuss with the, the first cardiologist and me um, their thoughts. And they're standing there hemming and hawing and kind of talking percentages of, you know, recovery and and uh, everything. And I kind of, again, just sort of gently said, you know, if you're going to do it, like this is the guy to do it. He arrested in front of us. You know, I, I did at a, at a rhythm check. I put the ultrasound probe on his chest. You could see his fibrillation of his ventricles. Um, and I kind of turned to them and, and Dr. Uh, Chavala, who was the interventionalist, um, 
he's kind of a gung-ho guy and, and is interested in ECMO. And he could tell I really kind of wanted this to happen. And, and so he was willing to take the patient to cath lab with the Lucas device on. Uh, they'd shoot the arteries quick, and if there was a proximal blockage, then he'd go ahead, they'd go ahead and put them up on ECMO and, uh, and then open the arteries. So that's what happened. He went down to cath lab. Um, they shot the arteries, and he had 100% osteal LAD. Um, and so one of the cardiothoracic surgeons, uh, they had given him a heads up, so he came in. At this point, they're the ones that are cannulating in our hospital. We're hoping that may may change in the future as as we shift mentality a little bit. And uh, so they got him on VA ECMO, um, opened the artery, and within a few minutes, the guy was sticking his tongue out on command, giving thumbs up on command. Um, he ended up on ECMO for about four days before they decannulated. Um, his next day at post-arrest EF was 17%, and then they did a, a repeat echo a few days later, and that stunning had recovered, and his EF was 53%. That's awesome. That's awesome. So give me some times. Like, what, what was his downtime? What was his time from in the ED to the cath lab, those sort of things? Sure. So he came in... Um, uh, from the time he came in to the time that he left for cath lab was about 37 minutes um, that he was down. And uh, realistically, probably as he was rolling into the ED, he, he was probably losing a pulse. So he, you know, was probably close to 40 minutes by the time um, by the time they got him. And uh, so the cardiologist was in the room within probably two to three minutes. He was intubated within five minutes. One of the flight nurses. Um, was helping out and was able to intubate him without any real significant break in CPR. Um, and so, I mean, he was shocked within the first minute. You know, we had IV access within kind of by the time he got there. So, um, so yeah, almost 40 minutes of time. And, and I'm sorry, and, did you have any, any brief rust during those times or no? Well, you know, it's interesting. When we would shock him, sometimes you'd see almost like a twitch in, his, in one of his hands. Um, but there was no level of consciousness back at all. Um, I mean, he would just go be after a shock, he'd be right back into B fib. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was one of those ones where you really think you're going to get somebody back or you're very optimistic about getting somebody back when they arrest in front of you. And so it was kind of frustrating as each shock and, and you know, it's not going. So that was one of the reasons I tried the dual defibrillator to see if that would if that would work. Okay, so then 40 minutes, he gets taken to the cath lab, they cannulate him, in, or they shoot the LAD first. Yep. And then they cannulate him. Yep. So what was the time, what were the time frames there? I think once he was in lab, I think there was probably less than 10 minutes, I would guess, to being on the pump. The cardiothoracic surgeons use a pretty pretty good size cannula. They had a, a 19 French in the left femoral artery and a 27 French in the left femoral vein. Big. Uh, yeah. So they, uh, so when they decided to go, they decided to go big and, and just get them up on bypass. So, um, take home, like for you, um, if you hadn't pushed for, I mean, first of all, going to the cath lab is one question. The second question right. is ECMO. Um, I mean, just realistically, what do you think would have happened had you not pushed for either of these things? 
Well, the initial cardiologist was already kind of talking about potentially ceasing resuscitative efforts, you know, even 15 to 20 minutes in after he'd been in the room for a lot of these shocks and, and no, you know, nothing coming back. And so he was already kind of, kind of talking about potentially stopping. And, um, and I, it was kind of my, um, gentle, you know, gentle, uh, comments regarding that, that, um, you know, that, that kind of made him, made him think and call the, call the cardiologists. And, and, you know, fortunately this was a, a middle of the afternoon on a weekday. So all the cath lab staff was there. We had the cardiologists in house, cardiothoracic surgery in house. I mean, it was perfect timing. So all the pieces were there. Um, I'm just grateful that, you know, the, the thought came to mind and that, you know, that was kind of the tipping point to start the dominoes falling to get this guy up on ECMO. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he wouldn't, wouldn't be alive today. I mean, he left the hospital and was neurologically intact and, and he's super grateful. And since his case, we've actually had another meeting with, um, a couple of my colleagues, a couple of our ICU docs that, that manage ECMO. And, um, so we're trying to use this case because it really opened a lot of eyes in our hospital um, as to the possibility. And, and like I said, that changing mentality of ECMO early before they get too far down the road. So we've had had a meeting since then, and we're trying to kind of push forward with getting that arranged. And we've um, looked at kind of what Dr. Yiannopoulos is doing up in Minnesota and uh, also University of Utah's protocol um, for their ECMO that they do. And, and so we're trying to, trying to push forward to change that mentality within our institution. Well, Andrew, that is just, it's awesome. So awesome. And, uh, and it, the greatest thing is that these, you know, these cases are, they're just total game changers. Everyone can see Absolutely. it. Like I've already fielded a couple emails from your colleagues there and, uh, and that nihilism that you just mm-hmm. think like, oh, 20 minutes, they're dead. It's not true. Yep, absolutely. Well, so cool. Thank you for sharing. And any other thoughts? No, I think, you know, like I said, this is all it takes sometimes is that little comment, that idea. And, you know, just having um, you don't necessarily even have to be pushy or anything. Just kind of lay, lay that seed. And if there's specialists that can make that happen, lay that seed in their mind. And and just pretty awesome outcomes can can happen as a result. So.